Hello, this is Zach Driscoll welcoming you to the Real Men Podcast. This podcast is specifically designed to equip men of all ages. My dad's heart has always been to build up men to be strong followers of Jesus and future leaders for their families. We want to build men up, not beat men up. For more Bible-centered resources like this, visit realfaith.com slash realmen. Now get ready for this week's Real Men Talk from my dad, Pastor Mark. Let me pray before we jump into this one. It's going to be a little different. Father God, pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. God, I pray for the right tone uh, to my message. I pray for ears to hear. I pray for uh, digital favor to the nations, because tonight, God, we decide who lives and who dies. And so in Jesus' name, we consecrate this time and this place uh, to our great God and Savior who came into human history through the womb of his mother, Mary, who was poor, who was rural, who was unmarried, who was young and was a candidate to terminate. But instead she gave birth to the one who would be the savior of the world. And so Jesus, we wanna come and honor you. And I pray that you would allow me to teach well and that you would send the Holy Spirit so that what I say would be an echo of the Father's heart in Jesus' good name, amen. Amen. Um, So it's, it's an honor to see you, man. Thank you for joining us and thank you for joining us online. And uh, what I usually do is I preach three books of the Bible and then I do a, a lecture for the men. And last week I felt inclined to go ahead and to, to talk in advance of my sermon. And I was like, Father, why, why would you have me to do that? And then uh, this week I, I realized why. And uh, my, my, my talk tonight is gonna be a little different, a little deeper, 23 scriptures commanding true Christians to oppose abortion. And we find ourselves in one of those seminal moments in human history quite frankly. And uh, there was a a leak of a document that was in preparation by the Supreme Court, it's been confirmed as real, that seems to be uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. And uh, it's not a cancellation of abortion, but it's pushing it to the states, which frankly, it's where it should be. It's where a lot of things should be. We should have less federal government and more states' rights. And uh, thankfully, Arizona is uh, one state that has a trigger law in effect that if Roe v. Wade is lifted, we're automatically pro-life, which would make us the only pro-life state anywhere near the West Coast. And so we are the, uh, we're the last gun in the battle for life. And so uh, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue with political implications. I care a lot about the scriptures and I'm a Bible guy and I'm gonna start in Genesis and walk you through John. We're gonna look at 23 scriptures and just hear what God has to say about this particular issue. Uh, What is really interesting as well is uh, Roe v. Wade was legalized in 1973. I was born in 1970. Since that time, there's been around 62 million legalized abortions in the United States of America. Uh, Just to put that in perspective, if today you killed everyone in Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, and Nevada, it still wouldn't be 62 million people. And I I just frankly uh, can't hardly stomach the hypocrisy in our culture where in the last two years, it was we need to shut down the church, we need to shut down our businesses, we need to crater our economy, Uh, we all need to follow the science so that we can save life. It's like, well, let's follow the science that says that life begins at conception. If we're going to care for human life, let's care for all of it, not just those who didn't make it out of the womb to vote. I'm sure that they would vote that they would prefer to live. And so those who died in uh, America of abortion is around 62 million. Those who died globally with COVID, not of COVID, with COVID is 6 million, only a 10th. And so, Here's my big prayer as we talk tonight. 
the last line of the Old Testament. It's before 400 years of silence and the coming of Jesus Christ. And God says that John the baptizer is coming to preach repentance and Jesus is coming to provide salvation to quote, turn the hearts of fathers toward children. And he says, if that doesn't happen, then the nation will be cursed. The big idea is this, if men don't have a heart for children, the whole nation is cursed. That's why we're here. I want your heart to be the father's heart for children. Uh, all children, starting with your children and your grandchildren. And uh, if you're new, uh, we're, we're the odd guys, we're the outliers. Um, we're heterosexual, we love our wives. We think our children are a blessing and uh, we read the Bible. We're those guys. And so I, I wanna walk you through uh, what the Bible has to say. And uh, we'll just start in uh, Genesis and just keep going. But here it is. Number one, God is pro-life. Uh, Genesis 1:28. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. At this point, there's two people, Adam and Eve. God's like, I made you as people and I want you to make a lot more people. God is a pro-life God. And he says to fill the earth. And today we are told, well, there's population limitations. We're gonna outstrip our resources, all of which is just fake news. And it's supply chain issues. It's not a problem. But God is a pro-life God. God is the living God. He makes us alive and he makes us to procreate and create life. Number two, uh, God's people are pro-life and practice civil disobedience against ungodly governments when necessary. This is the story in Exodus. They are told by governmental officials, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, that is rightful civil disobedience, but they let the male children live. This would be like in China where there's forced population controls. This would be in certain nations where the government is saying these people live and these people die. And God's people say, no, 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 God determines who lives and dies, not unjust, ungodly government. There are times that God's people are not only pro-life, but need to practice rightful civil disobedience in the face of a culture of death. And Exodus is one such example. In addition, uh, number three, a murder is a sin against God and a crime against humanity. One of the 10 commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, is you shall not murder. There's a difference between murder and killing. And it's actually denoted in the original Hebrew language. Uh, murder is uh, taking an innocent human life. Killing is capital punishment that is justified. A criminal is sentenced to death for a crime they've committed. A soldier dies in a battle that they have showed up for. Murder is the taking of an innocent human life. And I would submit to you this, there is no more innocent human life than a preborn human life. They have done nothing, they have said nothing. They deserve nothing but an opportunity to do anything. In addition, number four, a preborn child has legal rights in the eyes of God. The Old Testament, the first six books are called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch is five, it's the book in five parts. It contains 613 laws that govern the nation of Israel. This is one of them. Exodus 21, 22 through 25, when men strive together. So the context here is two guys are, they're in a fight, they're in an altercation. There's a pregnant woman standing by as an observer and somehow their conflict engages her and causes her physical harm. When, two men, uh, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm. So 
She gives birth, maybe she goes into premature labor, but the child's okay. The one who hid her shall surely be fined, there is a punishment, and the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So two guys are fighting. They, somehow their altercation includes a pregnant woman, the baby's born okay, there's a punishment and a fine. But if there's harm, if the child dies, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What God is saying is this, that's a human being and it has full legal rights. And if two men are fighting and somehow they harm a pregnant woman and that child is stillborn or miscarried, they have committed murder and their life will be reckoned for the life that they have taken. At the end of the day, God is the author of human life and God makes justice for his people. And, 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 and my job is to teach you men to think biblically and your job is to live according to your biblical convictions. And what I'm telling you is when it comes to things like sex, ger sex gender, marriage, family, murder, and abortion, uh, literally our culture has burned down every vestige of tradition or wisdom, and this is all we have left. This is the only thing that brings any sanity to our world that has completely lost its mind. Uh, in addition, um, children are a blessing, number five. Psalm 127, three through five, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who has, uh, fills his quiver with them. Uh, the Bible says the kids are a blessing and they are, they are. I, I had a religious guy come up to me recently at church. He's like, man, how much are all those bouncy houses and water slides and kids snacks? It's like, well, I tell you what, kids are a blessing and we want them to know that. When they show up, we want them to see, oh, they want me here. I'm welcome here. Uh, they, they want me to have fun here. They, they seem to think that if I show up, it's a good thing. And so it's, it's really interesting. We had it scheduled long before, but we did a walkthrough with a design firm in the backyard today. How do we expand it? How do we get more bouncy houses, more water slides, more squirt guns, more kids? In the last two years during the season of COVID, our children's ministry is up 300%, 300%. Because children are a blessing. And in most of the world, it's like, you kids be quiet. You kids just sit on your screen. You kids cost me a lot of money. You kids are a lot of trouble here. Kids are a blessing. And I just wanna honor you, men. My office in the back overlooks the kids' ministry in the backyard where all the kids play. One of my favorite things is just looking down every week and kids are having a blast with their dads. That never gets old for me. Kids having fun with their dads at church, making memories around Jesus, that's incredible. Children are a blessing. Your children are a blessing. All children are a blessing. Your grandchildren are a blessing. In addition, God knows us from the womb. Psalm 139, 13 through 14, for you form my inward parts. God put together your body. If you're a medical doctor, you know the absolute miracle of human life. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God knows us from the mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. It's really interesting. We live in a day now where we have ultrasound and you can see into the womb. 
And the technology every few years just seems to get all the more amazingly incredible. When my kids were little, it's like, I think there's somebody in there. And now you're like, oh, 10 fingers, 10 toes, and it is a boy. I mean, you can see a lot of things in there. It's pretty clear on a good ultrasound. But previous to that, the only one who could see into the womb was God. God saw the womb, God worked in the womb, God knit us together in the womb, God knows us from our mother's womb. And now that we get to peer into that invisible world that was previously unavailable to us through technology, we're seeing abortions go down and we're seeing that people can't deny that life begins at conception and that a preborn child is a child. They got a DNA, they got fingerprints, um, they've got a name and a destiny chosen by God. God has always known this and God's people have always believed this. Next one, uh, to hate life is to hate the living God. God is the living God and he's the author and source of life. Proverbs 8:36. God says, all who hate me love death. They're cheering and protesting and demanding more bloodshed. It's like, we've killed 62 million people. Are we, are we there yet? Nope. No, we love death. We love death. If you love God, you hate death because death is the result of sin and angering the world. If you, if you love God, you hate death. If you hate God, you love death. You love death. In addition, a preborn child has a soul. Ecclesiastes 11.5, as you do not know the way a spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. What he's saying is this is God puts a soul in a body and he makes us physical and spiritual beings. And only God knows how that all works. And God only knows when that all works. People argue, when does life begin at conception? It's interesting now, because it's actually not even a medical debate anymore. It's, it's absolutely overwhelmingly conclusive that life begins at conception. But not only is that a body, and people just feel like, well, that's, that's just a body. No, it's a body with a soul, made in the image and likeness of God for eternal relationship with God. And God says that he puts a, a soul in a preborn body. In addition, it is demonic to kill your child. In the Old Testament, there were many demonic counterfeit religions that surrounded God's people that would offer their children as sacrifices to their demonic false gods. They called it Molech and Chemosh, we call it choice. It's just new names, old demons. Here's one example, Leviticus 18, 21, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Um, what happens is if you worship demons, uh, they are just about steal, kill and destroy. All they want is death. They want your children. They want your children. We live in a world right now that wants you to murder your child. And if not, they want you to hand that child over to be brainwashed and sexually confused and set up for abuse and groomed for perversion so that they're broken and dependent for the rest of their life. Because they just love death. They just love death. If they can't kill your child in the womb, they'll kill them a little bit every day at school. And it's a, it's a terrible thing to kill your own child. It's a demonic thing to take the innocent life of a child. What's really interesting is um, I was reading a sociological data analysis study. It said that uh, when a man and a woman go into a, an abortion clinic and the man says, you know, I'd like to try and raise that child. 85% of the time, the woman says, then I will have the child. 
See, the man is still the head. And if a man says, I, I wanna try, the woman says, that's what I would want. You men, tonight we're gonna decide who lives and dies. Um, and online, we're gonna decide who lives and dies. And if, if, if taking the life of your own child is something that even seems reasonable to any modicum of possibility, you need to know that you're thinking in a way that is demonic. In addition, uh, God calls us from the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, God knows us before we knew him. God calls us before we call him. And before you were, what? Born. I consecrated you, I chose you, I set you apart. I had a destiny for you. I appointed you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God not only knits us together in our mother's womb, knows us from our mother's womb, gives us a soul from our mother's womb. He has a calling on our life and a destiny for us from our mother's womb. In addition, uh, number 11, uh, killing children is not from the mind of God. I, I'd never seen this scripture before. It's amazing. You can study the Bible your whole life and you learn something new every day. Jeremiah 7, 31. God says, they have built the high places of Topheth, uh, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom. This is where they're offering their children on the high places to their demon gods to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Uh, today we do it chemically. For which I did not command. Now, what about this line? Nor did it come into my mind. That's like everybody who thinks about killing a kid, that's not an idea that came from me. God's saying that, that idea never crossed my mind. I never even had that thought. Never even considered that. If that's an idea you have, it didn't come from God, so it had to come from Satan. If it didn't come from the living God, it had to come from the father of lies and death. God's like, that thought you have? And it's just weird that we live in a day when there are pro-choice Christians. They're like, well, here's what I think. And God's like, yeah, I never even thought of that. You don't have my mind. You've been conformed to the pattern of the world. You've not been transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not sane until you think God's thoughts after him. And what God is saying is, I never thought this. In addition, when sex is a demonic religion, children are the sacrifice. Every religion has a sacrifice. Make no mistake, we love death because we love sex. So people wanna have sex, but not marriage, family, and responsibility. Uh, the passionate flames of sex, they fit in the hearth of marriage. I always told my boys growing up, we had a big fireplace. We live in a colder climate. I'd say it's really good to make a fire in the fireplace. Because with boys, if you don't tell them, they'll make one in their bedroom. <laughs> you gotta tell them where the fire goes. Sex is great in marriage. You take it out, it burns the whole world to the ground. That's what we've done. Here's what it says, Ezekiel 16, 20 through 21. You took your sons and your daughters, whom you had born to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. You killed your own kids. Were your whorings. It's just sexual deviancy. So small a matter that you slaughtered whose children? My children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them. Here's how God sees it. The Bible says that God is a father. And when a child is born, what God is saying is, that's my child. 
What that means is you and I as fathers, um, we are caring for the father's children. And what God is saying here is he's like, why in the world are you killing my kids? And a lot of the men and the women would be like, well, these are our kids. God's like, actually, no, you're not the author of life. You're not the sovereign ruler over life. You're not the eternal judger of life. Those are my kids. How would you feel if uh, it was date night and you had little kids and you hired a babysitter and you told the babysitter, hey, uh, keep an eye on our kids. And you came back and there was blood all over the house and they murdered your kids. That's how God feels every day. You're murdering my kids. That's exactly what he says. These are my kids. You and I are not owners of our children. We are stewards of his children. God convicted me of this when I first married Grace. I thought, she's my wife. The Lord spoke to me, said, son, she's my daughter. I'm supposed to steward his daughter. Our kids are his kids. I steward his kids. And I will give an account. And what oftentimes happens, people think, well, they're my kids, you know, it's my choice. And God's like, actually, they're my kids and you will give an account to me. In addition, Physicians should not tear apart what the great physician is knit together. Job 10, 11 and 12, you clothe me with skin and flesh, knit me together with bones and sinews. You've granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. Just for a moment, just consider the majesty of human life. There's a medical doctor, he's probably in the room tonight. He's a great man, great man of God. He went into med school as an atheist and got saved examining the human body. He came to the conclusion, there's a God. This is a miracle. There, there is a divine designer behind all human life. And, and what he's saying here in Job is God has gone to such meticulous work to fashion us, to create our bone, our skin, our ligaments, to connect us together, to live, that's what the great physician has done. And then for a physician to go in with forceps and the equivalent of a vacuum cleaner and break everything that God has made and suck it into a jar. We shouldn't tear apart what the great physician has knit together. In addition, uh, God works in the womb. Job 31, 15, did not he who made me in the womb make him and did not one fashion us in the womb? The most dangerous place to be in America is not in a room filled with people who have COVID. The most dangerous place to be in America is not behind the wheel of a car without a seatbelt. The most dangerous place to be in America is not on an airplane 10,000 feet above the sky. The most dangerous place to be in America is in the womb of your own mother. More people died last year of abortion than COVID. Every day we had a death count, but only for the people who made it out of the womb. Everybody tried to virtue signal and be tolerant and loving and care about life. They don't give a damn. They just don't. They'll change the subject, they'll attack the messenger, 
I'm probably not even online anymore right now. Here's a big idea. I don't give a damn about being on the right side of history. I'm really concerned about being on the right side of eternity. And uh, you know what? Everybody can judge all they want until I get before a white throne. I don't care about the verdict. I mean, it's just a sick day. I'm just going to have sex and murder my kid and then we're going to have a parade for it. We should have a funeral. Next one. Evil governments take the life of children. Here's what happens in the days of Jesus. Jesus is born. The government is like, "Uh uh-oh, need to kill us some boys. They're going to grow up and do something. Matthew 2.16. It's kind of the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament book of Exodus with the Pharaoh in Egypt, Herod became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region. You know, anytime the government's trying to murder Jesus as a baby, it kind of reveals the heart of government. Jesus shows up as a baby, born to a poor teenage, rural, probably peasant girl. And the government's like, he's gonna grow up and do something. Let's kill all the boys just so that we can get that one. Now, I'm sure they had a lot of great signs. Uh, I'm, great. I'm sure their social media was incredible. I, I'm sure they talked about choice instead of death. And they, they were good at changing the argument and blame shifting the issues and trying to repackage it as something that is good. But what are those who call evil good and darkness light? How about this one? Jesus harms those who harm children. Matthew 18, five and six. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or to suffer, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus not only comes as a kid, he actually really likes kids. What he says is, if you hurt kids, I hurt you. Don't... Jesus is patient, but he's not weak. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes back, there will be justice. You either get justice at the cross where you repent of your sin and Jesus dies in your place for your sin. Or when Jesus comes back, he gets his justice. What Jesus says, you hurt kids, I hurt you. Millstone was how they would grind flour and huge stone, grind, grind, grind. Jesus is like, when I'm done with you, you would have wished that I just put that thing around your neck and dropped you in the ocean because that would have been a better day than one that awaits you. Do not be deceived, God will not be mocked. Everyone will reap what they sow. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You and I have been saved if you're a Christian. You've been saved from God. And if you're not saved by God from God, you will give an account to God. And let me tell you this, Jesus takes very seriously how we treat children. Very seriously how we treat children. In addition, number 17, what you really think about Jesus is revealed in how you treat your children. You can raise your hands, you can quote your verses. 
but a lot of what you actually think about Jesus is revealed in how you treat children. Mark 9, 36 through 37, he took a child, Jesus did, put him in the midst of them, taking them in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus is like, God is a father, I'm his son. I come to the kids and I need you to treat the kids the way you would treat me. The way you would treat me. Jesus identifies with children to the degree that the way we treat them is actually felt by him. It's a remarkable affiliation that the Lord Jesus has with children. The Holy Spirit just brings it to mind. There's an occasion with a man named Saul of Tarsus who is out harming Christians. And Jesus shows up and he says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus loved the church and his people so much that when they suffered, he felt it even though he was in heaven. Apparently Jesus loves children so much that when they suffer, he feels it from heaven. And what he's saying is, if you really love me, it should show in how you treat kids. In addition, children are a blessing to be blessed. Mark 10, 16, Jesus took the children in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them, he's praying over them. One of the things that's really interesting with children, um, sometimes God gives them just sort of a unique disposition of discernment. Some kids are like, I don't know, they don't. But then there's certain people that the kids just know, they're loving, they're safe, they're fun, and the kids run to them, they love them. That was Jesus. Single guy, never married, never had kids. He shows up, kids are just running to him. He's, he's always got a bunch of kids around him and he picks them up and he blesses them and he prays over them. They all know he's safe. He's safe. What's really interesting, the religious people come along, they try to get rid of the children. Like, you know, these children, they're making noise in a mess and we, we wanna argue stupid theological ideas with Jesus. Jesus is like, actually, I'd rather play with the kids. See, they thought they were good theologians because they could argue, but they weren't good theologians because they couldn't love. We see Jesus, just children flock to him. What does that tell you? And they still do. How about this one? A children, children can be born again before they're born. Here's the promise about the coming of John the baptizer in Luke 1.15. And just for those of you that are a little more learned, uh, we're gonna look at a few verses from Luke. Who's Luke? What's he do for a living? It's a medical doctor. So this is a clinical diagnosis by a medical doctor. He says this, uh, John the baptizer will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's John, first of all, his name is John. You know what we give names to? People. Do you know what the name of my pulpit is? Me neither. <laughs> Doesn't have a name, not a person. People get names. God says through the angel, his name is John, because we name people. And he's gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. What does that mean? He's saved, he's born again. He belongs to God. His soul is awakened and connected to the living God from the womb. You can be born again before you're born. Now, let me say this. Some of you men, when you hear this, you'd say, Pastor Mark, I don't disagree with you, 
But I'm the guy who drove his girlfriend to the clinic some years ago, and I live with tremendous regret. But I wanna encourage you, God knew that child from the womb, God loved that child from the womb, and God could have saved that child from the womb. There may be a great homecoming in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ between you and your child. The Bible says that Jesus is gonna wipe every tear from your eye. He's gonna do that with nail-scarred hands. You're gonna see your kid and you're, you're, you're gonna shed your tears and then Jesus is gonna say with his nail-scarred hands, it's okay, go enjoy them now forever. It's gonna be a reunion. I can't wait to see that. We had a miscarriage. We had five kids. We, Grace miscarried one and I was wrecked, completely, totally wrecked. Somebody in my house is missing. Somebody in my family's not there. She miscarried. I know it's a life. My kids asked me, they said, what do you think happened to that baby, dad? I said, well, Jesus decides. They're like, oh, then they're fine. That's <laughs> like, I'm gonna go with that. But you can be filled with the Holy Spirit from your mother's womb. In addition, a little bit more about John. Children can worship from the womb. This is unbelievable. Luke 1, 41 and 44. When Elizabeth, that's Mary's relative who's older, heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John the baptizer. Uh, and then she says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So here you've got Mary and Elizabeth. The prophet, the fulfillment, the old covenant, the new covenant, the preacher of repentance, the savior of sinners. These two women come together. The boys are in their bellies. And John the baptizer has a name from God, is chosen with a prophetic ministry, is filled with the Holy Spirit and leaps for joy, worshiping in the presence of Jesus. An unborn child can be sensitive to the presence of God because they have a soul and they are made in love by God. When Grace was pregnant with our five kids, I can remember seeing the kids, you know, just like, wow, this, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to watch your wife, you know, grow a baby. And I remember seeing hands and feet and I remember seeing hands one time and I looked at her, I said, I think they're worshiping. I mean, we have a Pentecostal kid in there. They're, they're, <laughs> they're hands up. Sometimes that movement may actually be your child worshiping God from the womb. That was the case with John the baptizer. In addition, God came to the earth through Mary's womb. Jesus could have come as a man. He could have came as a 10 year old, a 20 year old or a 30 year old. Instead, he started like we all start. And he identifies with human life at every point from conception to birth to maturity. Luke 2, 12 and 16, we're told you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I'm so glad they made it to a manger instead of a clinic. Poor, unmarried, rural, teenage, peasant girl. Jesus came as a baby. We tend to say God became a man. He did, but before he became a man, he was a little man. And that dignifies and identifies the Lord Jesus with the preborn and the newborn. In addition, children in and out of the womb are the same to God. Um, I'll explain this in a moment. 
Luke 18, 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Uh, I can't get into all the details, but Luke is the primary contributor of the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes more books. Luke provides more content. He writes Luke, which is the biographical history in chronological order of Christ. And then he writes Acts, which is the biographical chronological history of Christians. So it's Christ and Christians. He is a medical doctor. He uses the exact same Greek word for a child that is preborn in the womb, a child that is newborn in the arms, and little kids who are running around and playing in both the book of Luke and Acts. Because God sees the preborn, the newborn, and the young active toddler all the same, and he uses the exact same word because they're all children. They're all children. They're all children. There's a man here in the room tonight and um, the Holy Spirit just brings this to mind. He's a first time dad. They're newly married, a great guy, we love him. His wife's pregnant with her first kid. And somebody said, I bet you can't wait to be a dad. And he said, quote, I am a dad. Amen? He said, I am a dad. I got a, I got a child. Just haven't quite met him yet, but I'm a dad. And that's, that's, the, that's the father heart of God. That's how God sees it. Uh, in addition, last one, God makes life and Satan, Satan takes life. John 8, 44, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. God is the living God. Satan is the killing counterfeit. Let me, uh, let me just share a little bit personally. Um, I started in exactly the worst possible place on this issue. So if you disagree with me or you're somewhere in process, know that I don't judge you, I pray for you, and I would encourage you to repent. Uh, I did. So I'll tell you my story. I grew up... Um, believing wholeheartedly in evolution, that we're part animal, part human, that some people are more evolved than others, that we have to have population controls for scarcity of resources. I've always been a bit of a nerd, I read a lot. And I started thinking about these things at a very young age. And I was basically brainwashed in a public educational system. And so I came to the conclusion that we need forced population controls, that people that are less fit to use an evolutionary term, should be terminated so that we can have advancement of civilization. And that people that have mental or physical defects or handicaps are less fit and we should eradicate and terminate life. They should be sterilized, uh, not allowed to procreate. I was absolutely as far left on this issue as you could possibly get as a young man. I debated it repeatedly in high school and I won every single time. On more than one occasion, some Christian kid would try and argue with me and I would melt them to the ground. More than one occasion, literally just in tears, unable to even respond. Um, I was wrong, but I argue well. Met a cute 17-year-old pastor's daughter who was staunchly pro-life, uh, my wife, Grace. She asked me about abortion and I told her exactly what I thought and she was mortified and horrified. And she started arguing with me and she was right. And I always won the argument. 
because you can be wrong and win the argument. So then I go off to college at a state university on academic and leadership scholarship. I start studying under a cultural, social Marxist professor. He declared himself as such. He was black African, Marxist, complete Marxist. Um, communistic economics, uh, social Marxism, today what we would call criti critical theory and wokeism. And I agreed with him. So it came time for there to be a student debate on the issue of life and death. And so I don't remember if it was 500 or 1,000. I don't remember. It was just a lot of students were there. And they put me up to debate as the freshman. And they put me up against some nice Christian kid. And I melted them to the ground. They couldn't finish the argument. I had so eviscerated every one of their arguments and their character that they just started crying and walked away. I understand the arguments. And then I was in my dorm room and reading Romans and God saved me. I know I'm chosen by God because I wasn't looking for him, he was looking for me. And so then I start reading the Bible and Everything I believe disagrees with everything the Bible says. I think we're evolved, not created. Uh, I think that human life is not made in the image and likeness of God. I think we should kill people we don't like and take their resources and it's survival of the fittest and might makes right and I'm an alpha, so that works for me. And I start reading and I realize, okay, either, either I'm wrong or this, this is wrong. So I have a decision to make. Either I'm gonna submit to this or I'm gonna ignore this. And uh, I decided that this was the word of God and that I was wrong about pretty much everything and that I needed to change everything I had ever thought and argued for because I was wrong. I called Grace and I said, uh, here's where I'm at. She said, yeah, I knew you were wrong. <laughs> she said, I just couldn't win an argument with you. She said, so I bought you a Bible. She said, the only thing that could out-argue you is the scriptures. So she gave me the Bible. She made me argue with God. I lost, God is undefeated. <laughs> the ideology that I held, uh, and so if you're a guy, you're like, hey, I, I don't agree with your biblical convictions, Mark. Just start where you are and have the fight with God and the word of God. And I'm telling you, God's undefeated. And this thinking of sort of abortion, it is underlined by an evolutionary worldview, not a biblical worldview, that we are created and that we have uh, dignity, value, and worth because we're made the image likes of God. It comes from Charles Darwin in evolution, that we were animals that evolved. Some of us evolved more than others. There was a point in our nation's history, a tragic, sickening moment, but they decided that some people were three-fifths human. Some of us are very evolved. Some of us are a little more primitive. So you don't get full voting rights and you get Jim Crow laws and segregation and discrimination, um, slavery and such, because, you know, well, they're not fully human. That's, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible says there's Adam and Eve. We all descend from them. We're all made in the image and likeness of God. We're all part of the human race. You can't get to this kind of nonsense according to the Bible. 
you have been told that uh, Charles Darwin wrote a book called On the Origin of the Species. They didn't give you the full title because, well, it doesn't work in the narrative. The real title of Charles Darwin's sort of tome was On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races and the Struggle for Life. The whole evolutionary ideology is racist to its core. So those who would embrace it and then argue for justice, they've sawed off the limb that they sit upon. That's why, like Rorty, I think it is, he was a postmodern atheist, he calls himself a freeloading atheist. Meaning I don't have any reason for morality and equality, so I steal it from Christians. Charles Darwin said, at some point, future period, at some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races throughout the world. Some of us are civilized, some of us are savages. A civilized need to procreate, those savages need to be stopped. This led to a philosopher named Thomas Malthus. He lived late 1700s to early 1800s. He added that we have overpopulation, climate crisis. Um, so we need to have population controls. We need to sterilize certain people groups so they can't procreate. We need to have birth control and we need to abort the unfit. His philosophy became very popular. And then there was a historical case study trying to enact what is known as Malthusian eugenics. It was called Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany is an experiment in Malthusian eugenics. I went to a concentration camp with Grace a few years ago. Many of the medical advancements that we have are because of human subjects in Nazi Germany. They would put, put, give them syphilis, see what happens. Put medication in them, see what happens. Make them wear shoes and walk 10 miles and see if they get blisters to figure out how to make good sneakers. It was all human experiments and subjugation because they're not human beings, they're animals. You wouldn't feel bad cutting up a frog in a lab at a high school, so why feel bad cutting up a Jew in a concentration camp? What happened was, of course, we had a few world wars and America and other nations couldn't, uh, couldn't stand the horror anymore. It's really interesting, um, it just comes to mind. When I was at a concentration camp with Grace a few years ago, there was this concentration camp they had furnaces where they would burn people, including children. On the other side of the wall was all of the housing for the SS guards' children. They had a pond, they had a park, they would have a Ferris wheel, they'd have a carousel, they lived in nice houses, and the kids didn't even know what was going on on the other side of the wall. And so the dad would get up, have breakfast, play with his kids, you kids go outside, have fun in our beautifully architected, you know, manicured neighborhood that's set up for life and joy, and then he would pass through the gates into the concentration camps and feed children into the fire, and then their ashes would float up and float over onto the carousel of their own children next door who didn't know what their father did for a job. And somehow men could do this because they thought, well, they're not human. Human beings separated from conscience and Christ are capable of the most horrifying evil. But what happened in Nazi Germany, this experiment then was widely denounced globally. So there was a woman named Margaret Sanger who still held to Malthusian eugenics principles and realized we can't have big concentration camps. Instead, what we need to have is a bunch of little clinics. 
same philosophy and ideology, same activity. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood. If you wanna just have a mind melt, just go to Yelp or Apple Maps or whatever and just plug in Planned Parenthood and look around the valley. Uh, not gonna find one in North Scottsdale. Not gonna find one next to the country clubs and the golf courses. They're in all the places where the poor people are. The first generation immigrants, the neighborhood that I grew up in, the less fit. In 1933, Planned Parenthood magazine, Birth Control Review published, quote, eugenic sterilization, an urgent need by Ernst Rudin, Hitler's director of genetic sterilization and founder of the Nazi Society for Racial Hygiene. That same year, it published an article by E.A. Whitney, Selective Sterilization and Praised and Defended Nazi Racial Programs. Abortion's down a bit, it's still right around a million a year. 29% of people in America are black and Hispanic. They account for 55% of all abortions. I just, I, I just, it's, it's like, hey, all of you women's rights people, you know that half the people killed were female. And all of you justice and equality people, you know that you're slaughtering people who are non-white disproportionately. Um, I guess in hell, this is called justice, but for those of us with our eyes open, it's hypocrisy. She says, Margaret Sanger does, birth control appears to the advanced radical because it is calculated to undermine the authority of Christian churches. She just said it. I look forward to seeing humanity free someday of the tyranny of Christianity, no less than capitalism. She says, here's my agenda. No more Christians, no more capitalists. For those of you men that have encouraged a woman to do this or participated, um, the good news is this, there is forgiveness for everyone and everything in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is being murdered on the cross. The taking of human life in the womb is innocent. The taking of the life of Jesus Christ is also the taking of completely innocent life. And he says, Father, forgive them. There's forgiveness. For those of you men who are single, don't just love sex, love God, love marriage, love children, love grandchildren, love legacy. It's... Most guys don't think I'm gonna, I'm gonna murder a kid. They just think I'm gonna get laid. So keep your head on straight. And if you're looking at getting married, don't overlook a single mother. Don't overlook. Joseph married a single mother and it worked out well for him. He got Jesus Christ. He got to be the dad of the greatest kid in the history of the world. For, for us as men, you're going to have to accept the fact that we'll just get attacked saying, hey, we, we love kids and we love life. And they're like, oh, you're a man. You have no right to speak into this. I don't think that less men loving children is going to make for a better world. And 
now that I'm a dad, I can't, I can't even, I can't even fathom where I was. I mean, God has saved my five kids. My kids all love the Lord and I love them. I'd lunch with my son today. I, you know, I'm going to go speak at an event and travel with my other son tomorrow. I mean, I, I have the most amazing kids. I, I just, every day I marvel, like I get to be your dad. What an honor and a blessing. It's such, it's, I love being a dad. I probably would have been a guy who would have been okay with killing his own kids. I mean, God didn't just save my kids from hell. God saved my kids from their dad. Apart from Jesus, that's who I was and where I was going and how I was thinking. And I just want to appeal to you men to have the father heart of God for, for marriage, for children, for grandchildren, for legacy, for all children, truly. Um, and I don't know, I'll just close with this. I, I'm nobody. I'm a guy who's had an interesting run. Um, at this point, just a voice in the desert trying to help a little bit. But it says this in Revelation 21.8. It talks about the end. Who makes it into the kingdom? It says, as for the cowardly. <laughs> Cowards don't make it. The faithless, the detestable. As for murderers and the sexually immoral. It's interesting that those go together. The murderers start by being sexually immoral. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Um, we live in one of the most incredible moments in the history of our country. And, um, and I would just encourage you all to be praying for our president. Um, you'll never hear this, but Joe Biden, you're a coward. You're a coward. You say you're a Christian. You say you love the Lord Jesus. You say that rights come from God, our creator. And you think that 62 million slaughtered lives is not nearly enough. And it's never too late to repent. And unless repentance begins at the top and flows down, then according to the last line of the Old Testament, if men don't have a heart for children, we're cursed. I would encourage you men, don't be angry, don't be violent, don't be godless, don't be self-righteous, but don't be cowards. Father God, thanks for an opportunity to teach. And God, it's a hard word. I believe that hard words produce soft people. I believe that soft words produce hard people. God, if today we lost everybody in Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, and Arizona, we would not have a parade and talk about the beauty of freedom and choice. God, help us to follow the science that life begins at conception. Help us to love life and the source of life, the living God. And Lord, uh, I'm nobody from nowhere. Um, but God, I thank you so much for your word. God, the kind of men that we'd be without your word I mean, we're works in progress. We got our problems. We're tripping over our own feet as we go. We're not Jesus. But God, thank you that the kind of men we were is not the kind of men we are, and it's not the kind of men that we will be when you're done with us.
Pray that our wives would get a better version of us. Pray that our children would get a better version of us. Pray that our grandchildren would get a better version of us. And pray that when we're around children, they'd see Christ in us and know that we're safe and we love them and they're a blessing and we want to bless them. So God, we pray for ourselves. We pray for our church. We pray for our city. We pray for our nation. We pray for our planet. Holy Spirit, would you please turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that we don't have to live under this damnable curse that we've been under since 1973 in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of today's sermon. We hope today's word encourages you to be stronger men of Christ. If you live in Arizona, I invite you to attend Real Men. We meet every Wednesday night here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. For more resources like this, visit realfaith.com. And remember, it's all about Jesus.